Hello and welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast. I'm Catalina Albanu and in this episode we'll hear about feminist investigative journalism, what it is and why we need it. A study in the United States from the Women's Media Center showed that when reproductive issues are covered in the press, it's more often by men than by women. And did you know that at the New York Times, men authored nearly twice as many stories about reproductive rights than women did, and that men were also quoted more in these stories? That's one of the things delegates at the International Journalism Festival in April found out during a discussion on feminist investigative journalism. But what exactly is feminist investigative journalism? Claire Provo has been working as an investigative reporter for years and has been the editor of Open Democracy 5050 since last year. 5050 covers gender, sexuality and social justice and when Claire joined, she wanted to move the section's reporting in a direction more focused around investigations. She says feminist investigative journalism is as much about what you write as it is about how you write it. What we mean when we say feminist investigative journalism is uh, you know, serious investigative reporting on women's and LGBTQI rights issues. Um, but it's also more than that. It's not just about what we write on. It's also about how we write and how we work. Um, and so that means, for example, you know, looking to produce very impactful stories, um, investigative reports, but in collaboration with other and younger women and trans writers to build their capacity and therefore our collective capacity to investigate these issues moving forward. So it's not just about um, you know an individual story or an individual reporter. It's also about trying to strengthen feminist media more broadly. A lot of reporters are motivated by a desire to expose injustice and to challenge power. But Claire points out that this doesn't necessarily translate into serious investigative journalism on topics such as violence against women. Stories on this issue are often either comment pieces or reports on individual cases, which are very important but can fail to address the structural social issues. So why isn't investigative journalism on gender issues more widespread? There are a number of reasons, I think. One of them is, um, you know, the the structure of newsrooms is, and we all know this, they're they're not very diverse. Um, Many are very male-dominated. Investigative news teams can be even more more male-dominated. And, you know, in general, there are certain issues, uh, you know, women's rights and uh, sexual and reproductive rights, LGBTQI rights, issues that are not necessarily on the news agendas or on the agendas of investigative teams. They might be more likely covered, um, you know, in culture pages and lifestyle pages, um, but not given the, you know, the serious attention by investigative journalists. So that's one reason. Another reason, I think, is um, because, ma- a lot, you know, this is not the reality in all mainstream news outlets, but in many, it's a very competitive culture. Um, so it's always about you know, my byline and my story and my career and my promotion. And that doesn't encourage reporters to look for opportunities to build each other's capacity. So you're not necessarily encouraged to, you know, find 
you know, the reporter in the newsroom who's very passionate about the issue but doesn't have the skills to investigate it and then work with them, whereas that is absolutely what we do and we very much encourage it. We love double bylines, we love joint projects, um, and if a writer comes to us and they have a proposal like that, that is not just I want to write this really important story, but I want to do it in a way that um, you know helps force this kind of structural change, that is like absolutely what we want to hear. Last year, 5050 went inside what's called the World Congress of Families, a summit of ultra-conservative, anti-abortion, anti-LGBT equality groups, and got an underground view of how these organizations around the world are working together to share strategies, such as how to use social media or television to promote their messages. The impact of the stories Claire and her team publish is quite significant. 45% of 50-50 readers are men, and the average time spent reading on the site is around 4 minutes. And for some articles, it can go up to 6 minutes, which means people are reading every word. As this approach also focuses on teaching skills and helping other journalists, 50-50 has also opened applications this year for a number of fellowships. So we've uh, started in the last six months um, a you know, really exciting fellowship program, for example, um, for women and trans writers uh, to give them opportunities to do really interesting reporting, but also with ongoing mentorship training, workshops, skill building in collaboration with us. Um, that's a new program. You know, so we launched a call for applications for two fellowships to focus on our series Tracking the Backlash Against Sexual and Reproductive Rights in January. Um, Those fellows will start very soon, but they haven't started yet. And then we have a third fellowship focused on women's rights, corporate power, and economic justice reporting. Um, And again, that one will start in May. So it's kind of early days for us in in that respect, but um, this is something we're really trying to focus on. But then on a daily basis, we do a lot of capacity building with individual writers. So um, you know, our editing process is very different than, than many editing processes in mainstream organizations. For example, we spend a lot of time with the writers on their copy, editing pieces very carefully, but then also going through and explaining every edit, um, working with the writers to understand like what, in particular, they might need more help with. So, you know, whether it is how to structure a compelling nut graph, you know, that might be something that one writer needs more support on than the other, and we try to sort of tailor our advice, you know, accordingly. The fellowships received hundreds of applications, which took the 50-50 team by surprise. We did some outreach, but we were astonished by how many applications we got. We were just completely shocked. You know, so we, in total, we had three, three positions, and, and for the three positions, we got over 800 applications. It's really just incredible. Um, and we did, you know, we promoted it on our social media, we promoted it in our newsletter, on our website, we sent it out to, you know, some journalism networks. You know, we were really grateful that IJNet also helped promote it um, in English as well as in Spanish, as well as in Portuguese. That was really fantastic. Um, you know, many of our writers promoted it, but we, we were absolutely not expecting anywhere near the level of interest we received. And we think that that's, it's not just because it's a really great opportunity for some, some writers, but also because there is a dearth of, there's a complete lack of these kinds of opportunities. And I think that's, it's also a reflection of this, you know, kind of a very sorry state of our industry where there aren't these, aren't enough of these opportunities for, you know, very serious, you know, both investigative journalism but also mentorship. There is a growing awareness, I think, that this kind of work is absolutely necessary. That does not mean that it's being done anywhere near the scale that it should be done on. Um, and so, what we're, you know, we're really keen to, you know, contribute 
in whatever way we can to this a recognition B effort to deal with these issues and we're very keen to collaborate with anyone in this regard but importantly like what we're doing is um you know it's not formal training you know like it's not a journalism master's course it's very practical training um and there there isn't enough of that I think you know the um if you're thrown into a newsroom as a junior reporter it can often be a very like sink and swim um, sort of atmosphere where you know some people will thrive and others won't, and there isn't necessarily that much attention given to you know why someone thrives and why someone doesn't, who thrives, who doesn't. Um, is it primarily you know the like very experienced already, very highly formally educated, very well connected men that end up thriving, and is it you know who who ends up sinking and who ends up swimming? There's not necessarily enough attention to that. You've been listening to the journalism.co.uk podcast. Head over to the website for more examples of investigative stories on women's issues and gender identity.